media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1 as we continue on in our series of Great Prayers of the Bible. One of the reasons that we've done this series, again, is to encourage us in our own prayer life. And as we get into Nehemiah's prayer this morning that we find in the book by his name, we see that it's a timely and relevant prayer because he's praying for a people and he's praying for a nation. And if there's a time that we've ever been called to to pray as a people for the people of God and for the nation uh, it is now. We find our nation in a time of discord and division on every level. We're in the midst of a world pandemic, and so we see all these troubles. And so what a good time for us to truly be praying for peoples and for nations. And so this morning we're going to open up to Nehemiah chapter 1. Let me give you a little bit of background of this great book. Nehemiah is kind of the main character uh, he may be the co-author. We also believe that Ezra, uh, he, who was a scribe, could have written this. So we don't know exactly if they co-wrote or if Ezra just recorded what Nehemiah uh, told him transpired. But what we find here is a story of Nehemiah uh, in a place of exile in, uh, from the Babylonians. And in this place of exile... Uh, they, the Jewish people had been exiled for well over a hundred years, and some of them had escaped and started making their way back to Jerusalem. And so you have a, a little bit of the Jewish contingency over here in Jerusalem. Some had never left because when the uh, exile took place, they only took like the, the upper echelon of the learned folks, and they left some people back there. So what you see is a scattering, a remnant of Jewish people back in Jerusalem, and then a lot of the leadership and a lot of those uh, people that you would say kind of the, the highly qualified leaders were taken into exile. And Nehemiah was one of those. And he actually has a very, very important job. It's an important job and it's also an intimate job. He is the cupbearer to the king. And the cupbearer, you've probably heard this before, but he was the one that would take the drink that was given to the king and he would drink it first and he would taste first and and if he died, then the king would know, okay, somebody's trying to poison me. So it was a very, very important job for security. But it was also an intimate job because it really, you became friends with the king. You were there during his mealtime. You heard some casual conversation. You heard other things. And so there's a good relationship between Nehemiah and this king. And yet it is a Babylonian king. He's not really a believer. He's not for the Jewish people. And yet he likes Nehemiah. When they, when we come upon the story in, in chapter one, some of Nehemiah's family and friends have traveled from Jerusalem and they've actually come to visit with him and they begin to share with him a report of what's happening back in his own homeland. We find that in Nehemiah chapter one, verse three. And they said to me, the remnant that is in the promise who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, it would be easy to look at this verse and say, okay, yeah, there's a a conflict going on back home and there's a a lot of upset because 
basically the city has been destroyed. But there's one thing that he begins to find out, and that is that the, the wall of Jerusalem has been broken down. Now, you and I may not really think that that's a big deal, but back in biblical times, especially Old Testament biblical times, it was a very big deal because that was the security of a city. And it was really kind of the pride of the city. I mean, think Jericho, the stories that you hear about Jericho. Jericho is really a small place. When I was in the Holy Land, I was surprised at how small Jericho was. And yet, it was one of the mightiest cities in the Old Testament. Why? Because of its mighty walls. That is, until God brought them down. Walls were very, very important because they were a reflection of the amount of security that you had. And here, Nehemiah is talking with his family and friends, and he finds out that What's going on back home in Jerusalem is not good. Why? Because the temple has been destroyed and a lot of the city has been destroyed, but the wall has been destroyed. Now, you might think, okay, we need to get a construction crew. This is a construction problem. Maybe it's a materials problem. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's even a leadership problem. But ultimately, Nehemiah begins to decipher from the very beginning that this is a spiritual problem. I think you've heard it from Andy, from Bradley. I think Jeff may have mentioned this in his sermon too, that in our country right now, a lot of times we say, well, that's a political problem, or this is a this kind of problem. That Folks, when it boils down, it is a spiritual problem. You've heard that from all of the leadership because we really do discern that the problems exist, even if they come out in a political vein or in a political attitude or something like that, all really basically are spiritual problems. And Nehemiah is in touch with his God and walks with his God enough that when he hears the story, he hears that this is really uh, not just a construction problem, that this is a spiritual problem. You see, 500 years before Nehemiah were the glory days of the Jewish people. That's when you think of Solomon and the temple that was built. And the Jewish people in Jerusalem had a reputation that went for thousands and thousands of miles to to so many other nations. They just knew of the greatness of these Jewish people. And those were the glory days. And yet those glory days had been long gone, especially in Nehemiah's time. In Nehemiah's time, all the leadership, all of those from the learned background had actually been exiled for many generations now. In, in Babylonia, and, and so, or in Babylon, and under the Babylonians. And so, this disconnect has happened. Well, Nehemiah hears this, and there's an immediate response. Now, I want you to think through this. Nehemiah, we're gonna find out, and if one, if there's one characterization of the book of Nehemiah, and the character of Nehemiah, people would say, oh, he's a great leader, and he was a tremendous leader. And so you would think that when he hears this problem, he would start to formulate in his mind, okay, how do we solve that? Number one, that's a man thing. We hear, we hear of a situation, okay, let me fix it. And yet, what do we see Nehemiah do? How does he respond immediately when he hears this sad and tragic news of Jerusalem? Verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And mourn for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's reaction is a spiritual reaction because he understands that this is really a spiritual problem. The whole reason that the Babylonians and before them the Assyrians had come in and exiled the Jewish people is because the Jewish people had uh, 
turned away from God. They had allowed sin into their lives. And they had become spiritually lazy in their worship. And so God allowed them to be disciplined even from these non-godly uh, nations. And, and Nehemiah realizes this. And so what's, what's his reaction when he hears this tragic news? He sat down, that is, he steals his life. That right there I, amazes me. Because number one, he's a guy, and so he's a fixer, and so he wants to go in there and fix it. And it's hard to be still, and yet it says that he sat down, he stills his life, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. Now, I, I read these words, and I was reading and studying this week, and it brought conviction to my heart. Because as, as troubled as I am for our country and for our world right now and all the things that we, we see and the craziness that is out there, uh, there's been some stillness in my life. I, I can tell you that there's been some tears and some mourning. I've, I've cried over the sadness when I see the racial division and different things like that. It's caused tears in, in my life. And I've been praying. I do have to admit there has not been fasting. I have not, and I don't say that in a silly way. I just, I haven't fasted. I, I don't want to make this a checklist. But when we begin to see Nehemiah's reaction, all this happens as he's beginning to pray and before we see this recorded prayer in chapter 1, we see how deeply affected Nehemiah was by this trouble. Now now get this. Nehemiah had a very comfortable job. He, he's in a, uh, at this time in a place called Susha, which is the uh, winter uh, residence of the Persian kings. They had a, a spring place and a summer place and a winter place. And, and they just happened to be at the winter place at this time. And uh, he's got a really good job. I mean, he gets to eat the food that the king is going to be served to the king. So it's kind of like the best food around. And, and he also has the comforts that you would associate with the king. He's always in the, the best places and with the finest surroundings. So... Why does this have such impact on Nehemiah's life? 800 miles away, he's kind of sheltered from what's happening back in Jerusalem. And when we begin to see that this man's broken heart, it's because he understands that God's heart is broken over it. See, guys, that's why this is a spiritual problem and not a political problem or a leadership problem or this. Maybe it has all those avenues to it, but at the root, it's always a spiritual problem. And I believe that a lot of things that are happening in the nation and in our world today break the heart of God. They bring sadness to holy God because we're not reacting in a loving and biblical way oftentimes as we see different things happening in our world. And Nehemiah, being a man of God, knowing the heart of God, he begins to, to weep and mourn because he, he sees that this breaks God's heart. And then he begins to pray. I want to mention four different aspects of his prayer today. Again, these are to be a model for us. It's not that we just kind of pray a rote prayer. Even when we say the Lord's Prayer, Jesus really didn't mean that to be repeated in a way where we just do it rotely all the time. It was a model prayer. To pray like this. And that's what we can do when we see Nehemiah's prayer. We see these four elements of, of prayer, and we would be wise to, to pray in some of these styles or elements. The first one was, 
Nehemiah's prayer was a prayer of praise. Look at verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now this praise is not simple flattery so that God will be more agreeable. He's not saying, God, you're such a great God. Now here's what I want. This praise is not to remind God of who he is. God knows who he is. In fact, God is more about his glory than you and I are. God is all about his own glory. No, the praise that we see here, when Nehemiah says, you are such a great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, this is the door by which he's going to enter into the throne room as he prays. What do you mean, Bobby? Well, how is praise a doorway into the throne room of God? Well, listen carefully. Nehemiah praises God for being an awesome God, but look how he describes the aspect, the character of his God. He says, you're a God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Nehemiah focuses on the character of God because remember, he's been exiled. For, for generations, they've been put into other nations under ungodly leadership. Why? Because of their own sin and their lack of repentance. And so when he begins to pray to this God, he begins to pray, God, this is who you are. You're a God of who, who's amazing, steadfast love, and you, you've made covenant with us. Nehemiah begins his prayer with the character of God because it is these characteristics that invite, that invite Nehemiah to have a, a, a relationship with this God. Do you see how your praise of God in your prayer invites you in? I mean, just think of a characteristic. I mean, if you just could come up with a characteristic of God, the love of God, the steadfastness of God, even the justice of God. You say, well, Bobby, that doesn't really invite me in the justice of God. You better, if you're a believer, it sure does. Because God is just, so just that he sent a Savior to take all of my sins and lay them on his perfect son. Why? So that he could be just on the day that I stand before this holy God in heaven. Even that invites me in to pray to this wonderful, awesome God. And that's what Nehemiah does there. It's a personal praise, and and he has this personal connection with God. Look at verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of who? Of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. I mean, he can pray this prayer, not because of his own worthiness. He prays it and he says, look, I'm a servant of yours. But he said, you know, I have a connection with you. Not because I've earned that right, but because you are a steadfast, loving God who has made covenant with his people. That's the first aspect of his prayer. He praises God, but not just to kind of, you know, make God feel good. God is already filled with his own glory. He does it because it's the door by which he enters into the throne room and intimate relationship with God. The second aspect is found in the next verses, and it's a prayer of confession. Look what he writes in verse 6 and 7. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, And now I pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. 
Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now, remember, Nehemiah for generations, his family for generations have been in captivity. They've been in this exile away. And yet, so he's not the ones that God, you know, brought into this discipline and this exile, you know, hundreds of years before. And yet, what is his confession here? The nation has sinned, and me and my father, what we've said. Confession is a normal part, should be a normal part of our prayer at all times. But especially since this was a spiritual problem, we see that part of that spiritual problem, our spiritual remedy, is repentance. Where we agree with God that we have been sinful. Where we agree with God that we have rebelled. Where we agree with God, as he says here, that we've left the commandments of your servant Moses. And so that's what Nehemiah does. 800 miles away from Jerusalem, he confesses that he's part of the problem. That the nation has has left God and that to a measure he and his own family have left God. Now I want you to connect this. Confession... True confession, heartfelt confession, is a sign of humility. They're sprung from a spiritual condition of humility in our lives. And when you think about it, prayer is one of the greatest acts of humility that we do. Because what we're basically saying in our prayer life as we would pray more and more is that we're dependent upon God. We humble ourselves before this mighty God. And you might think, well, that's just a no-brainer. Of course we would be humbled. Well, the more that we would really experience humility in our lives, the more that we're going to spend in uh, bent prayer, that is just when we bow and pray, but even this constant state of prayer because this constant state of dependency that we have to this holy God. So it's a prayer of praise that opens the door into the throne room and to the intimate relationship that he has with this God. It's a prayer of confession where he says, "This is you didn't leave us, we left you. The third part that we see here is the prayer of faith. Look at verse 8 and 9. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And God did. They were unfaithful, and so he scattered them. Not to punish them, but to discipline them, so that they would end that emptiness of life and want to return back. And But look at the promise in verse 9. But if you return, and this is God's promise. This is not Nehemiah's promise. This is God's promise to the, to the people of Israel. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Now, how's that a prayer of faith? Nehemiah was counting on God to do what God had promised. That's why I'm a big believer that sometimes when we don't have the words to pray, just count the word of God and pray the promises of God. That way you're just, you're saying, okay, God, you made this promise. I didn't make this up. This is what you have promised me. And this is what Nehemiah does. He said, God, you've said that if we're unfaithful, that you will scatter us. But you've also said that if we return, if we repent, if we keep your commandments, if we come back to you as your people, that you will reunite us again. And he's counting on God to do this. 
and to help build up the physical city, the temple and the walls around Jerusalem. But more than that, that's, again, think of it this way. That's symbolic of the identity of the Jewish people. Look at verses 10 and 11. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. He prays this prayer of faith. God, this is the God you are. And so I can come asking this because you've already promised that you would do this. The last aspect that we see there is a prayer of personal action. Do you remember how far away Nehemiah is? 800 miles. In a way, out of sight, out of mind. You know, a lot of times, even when we turn on the news in our own homes at night and we hear discouraging uh, stories from all over the world, it's not that there's a set, not a sadness in our lives about that. It's not that it doesn't kind of trouble us and weigh heavy upon us. But in the nightly news, do you mourn and do you weep? Do you make your, your life still like Nehemiah did? See, the farther something is away from us, it's not that we're uncaring people, but it's just when we hear of COVID-19 or something like that, it's all kind of just a, a thing out there until it's your mother or father and, and you can't go see them in the hospital, your brother or sister, your son or daughter. And then all of a sudden we, we get into this complexity where it's not a world pan- pandemic. No, it's a, a family problem. It's a situation that has affected you personally. Nehemiah, 800 miles away, is very, very personal. And he actually does this in his prayer. As he prays this prayer of, of uh, praise and confession and faith, he prays that God would use him. What an amazing prayer. Look at verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. He's talking about himself. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's talking about the king. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. Let me kind of explain. You probably have already figured that out, that in this last part of verse 11, when he says, okay, now now give success to the, your servant today, he's talking about himself. And, and will you give grant mercy to me in the sight of this man, this king? Because here's what he had devised. As he, after he had prayed, he, he felt like he needed to go back. And, and kind of the rest of the story of Nehemiah is how he goes back to Israel and he begins to, to lead them to rebuild the walls in the, in the temple there. Nehemiah didn't just pray about it and leave it. He asked God to be part of the solution. I mean, that's what chapter 2 and the following chapters are all about. That he goes back and he makes impact. He puts feet on his prayers. One of the aspects that I think sometimes we have a disconnect in our own prayer life, again, not trying to be critical or judgmental, but sometimes we pray about something and then we never put feet to those prayers. And that's why I'm so impressed with different ministries that truly say, okay, this is what it means to actually go out and love people. Let's, like I serve ministries where let's give them food. This is a, a representation of how we can just, you know, uh, not just tell them that we love them, but kind of show them that we love them. And, and that's what Nehemiah is doing here. 
And so he has to make a decision in his heart. Now remember, even though he has this intimacies with the king, he's the cupbearer, and, and I would say that they were friends. Still, it's the king, and he's a servant. There's a wide gap between their standing. And he's risking a lot, but he decides he's going to go. When the time is right to ask the king if he can go back and be with his people, and help them back in his country. From the time of prayer in this beginning of hearing this story to the time that he actually asked the king is actually about four months. How do we know that? Because in the book of uh, Nehemiah, we have a lot of dates, and we're told this month and this. And God never uses those words and those details without purpose. He's trying to say that this was a continual prayer of Nehemiah. This is something that Nehemiah just didn't pray about, and next morning he heads off to Jerusalem. No, this is something he waited for the right moment. And finally, that moment came, and he asked the king. See, the king had noticed that Nehemiah had been sad, that he really was kind of, you know, not the smiling guy that he always was before. This this weeping and this mourning kind of transferred over not just to his prayer life, but to his regular life. And so one day the king says, you know, Nehemiah, why are you so downcast? Why are you so heavy-hearted? And and. Nehemiah, the chapter 2 says that Nehemiah prayed right then. Okay, God, is this the right time? And God kind of says, yes, this is the right time. And he asked the king, hey, can I have some time to go and leave my duties here and go back to my homeland so that I can lead them to help rebuild the temple and and the walls around the city of Jerusalem? What a risk. The king asked, well, how long are you going to be gone? And and Nehemiah tells him, and we're not given that date, but it says that he tells him. The king says, I'll grant you that. Now, that's amazing. <laughs> this king has so much respect for Nehemiah, the man, and, and the condition that Nehemiah is in of this spiritual heavy load, that he grants to him, not just a servant, but he grants to him his friend, okay, you go and do this. But the answer of prayer doesn't stop there. I love God things. You know what I mean by a God thing? (laughs) When God just does something, you're going, okay, that's a God thing. There's no way that anything else can explain this. This is just a God thing. And we see some of those God things throughout the book of Nehemiah. But let me just point out one to you. (laughs) He asked the king, "Can can I go back to Jerusalem? Can I do this? Can I have time off to do this? King says, yes. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Nehemiah decides to ask him for lumber, for clearance, for a letter that gets him through all the the lands that he's going to have to travel through in those 800 miles to go back home. Look what it says, verse 7 and 8. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. In other words, if I have the king's seal, they'll know that I'm I'm here with a purpose. Everything's going to be okay. Verse 8. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. In other words, can you build me a house? Can you give me enough lumber for this, that, and that? I mean, we're talking about a lot of lumber, and I'm assuming that also with this comes a means of transporting it for 800 miles. No small request. And the king says, yes. That's a God thing. It's an amazing thing. 
It's an amazing time that we live in right now, folks. We need a lot of God things to happen in our nation, in our churches, in our schools, and in our own families. But here's what I want to encourage you with this morning from this great prayer of the Bible. Nehemiah, yes, he was a godly man, but he wasn't a special man that we're going, okay, I could never be like Nehemiah. No, you, you and I, because of Christ, we can be like Nehemiah. And I'm not saying that this is a magical prayer. In fact, the word magical and prayer should never go together. But, but this is a, a, a wonderful prayer. Why? Because it opens up the door to intimacy through the praises of just knowing the characteristics and the character of the God that he served. And then as he, he, he said, God, you are a God of steadfast love and this covenant that you've made with us. And so, God, I come and I confess my sin. He discerned that it was not a political problem. This was not, oh, I need a construction permit because this is a construction problem. He said, this is a spiritual problem, and it can only be solved at its foundation spiritually. And he confessed his sin. And he confessed the sins just as Moses did, Moses did for the people of Israel. And then he begins to say, okay, God, will, will you include me? It's a prayer of faith. This is the God that you are. And so I ask this in faith. I ask you just the promises that you've made to make them real in, in my life. And then God, you, you send me, just like Isaiah. Whom shall I send? Send me. And Nehemiah is there. And after that God thing, after God thing, after God thing begins to happen. Unthinkable that they build this wall around the city in a little over 50 days. Unthinkable. There's no way that you can even imagine that happening. It's a God thing. And as we would go through the book of Nehemiah, we would see God thing after God thing after God thing. Cornerstone family. We're a people in need of a God thing to happen in our lives. We need a God thing to happen in these months coming up upon a a political election. We need a God thing to happen in this whole COVID-19 thing. We need a God thing to happen in so many aspects of our life because when you really boil it down, they're not political problems or health problems or that. They they are that in, in one aspect, but at the foundation, they are spiritual problems. And we as the body of Christ, we as the people of the living God, God has called us to be this force that petition him, that enter into his throne room, that claims in faith the character and the promises of this God who's made these promises, not because we deserve them, but because he's a God who just loves his people. And so I pray that this prayer has hit you at a timely time that you can see the relevance of how Nehemiah prayed for a people and a nation. And that maybe even this week that you would kind of follow this model, not the word for word, but that you would just say, okay, God, will will you bring me into a place where I just praise you and trust who you are? A time of confession when I realize it's, it's not only the sins of the people, because that's so easy. So when, if these people would stop doing this, and if this people would, now that we would confess our sins, and that we would be broken before a holy God. And then claim in faith, based on the character of God, God, will you work a wonder? Will you do some God things in the midst of our 
church and community and schools, in the midst of the state of Georgia, in the midst of the United States, in the midst of the nations of the world. God, will you do a God thing? That's my challenge to you this week. It's my challenge to myself that I would pray for our nation and the nations of the world with such a prayer. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you so much that you have included these prayers in your word so that we can live uh, thousands of years later and still see how relevant they are to the day and the age that we live in. Father, your answers have not changed, for you have not changed. Your word is still true. And Father, the way that you guided Nehemiah to pray here, Father, is a way that uh, you will still guide us today. And so, Father, we thank you that you are this God that Nehemiah knew and praised, that you are a God who fulfilled the covenant through your son, Jesus Christ, that you are a God of steadfast love, but you are a God of discipline, not punishment. For, Father, you've put all of our sinful punishment onto Christ, but you love us enough to discipline us. And and so, Father, I, I wonder how much of all this stuff that's going on in the world, right, Father, is just your loving discipline uh, to your people so that we would turn from our spiritual laziness and, that, Father, that we'd turn our eyes upon you and follow you and follow your commandments, as Nehemiah said. Father, make us be people that pray in faith that we count on the promises that you've given us. And Father, help us to be people who put our feet to action, our prayers to to, to action. Father, that just as he did 800 miles away, send me. I want to go and be a part of this. And Father, let us not be surprised when you do a God thing over and over and over and over in our lives. We love you and we thank you for this hope that you've given us through your word as we pray it in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.